So, Christian, you know, don't you, that for the true believer, for every born-again child of God, there's always a ram in the bush. How many of you have heard this saying before? None of you. I'm surprised. There's always a ram in the bush. Don't you love coming to church? You always learn something, something new, maybe. Um, there's always a ram in the bush. Um, I heard an old, really old, crusty country preacher say that a long time ago, and I've never forgotten it. I love it. Um, when you do Hebrews 11 faith, when you engage in costly obedience, there'll always be a ram in the bush. Are you walking with Jesus Christ with that expectation? And let me explain what I'm saying since you don't know. Uh, what does it mean that there'll be a ram in the bush? What are we saying? Well, it's evangelical shorthand for the beautiful truth that our God can be trusted. It's Genesis 22, as Abraham sacrifices Isaac. It's a born-again idiom underscoring the fact that God is a promise keeper and God can be trusted. He's a competent God. We can do all He says because He will do all He says, right? This is why we can have no fear in the world. This is why we can obey the living God. At every turn, there'll always be a ram in the bush and we'll continue to talk a little bit about that. It's true, isn't it? If God doesn't show up, we have no hope of walking as a Christian. We can't be a Christian if God is not in our lives. We can be religious, and there are millions of people who are going to churches on Sunday morning, and they're merely religious. They don't know Him. They don't love Him. They don't have a real, dynamic, growing, vibrant, loving relationship with Him. They really don't. They're just merely religious. But if you're going to walk with the living God, the God who's going to take us through Hebrews 11, that God, <laughs> we got to have Him, man. we got to have Him. We can't walk that without Him. If we're going to go with Jesus, if we're going to walk with Emmanuel, as we'll be singing about in the coming weeks, if we're going to be doers of the Word out in the world, I mean, really, you know, we're not just sitting in church taking in information. We're, we're taking in information so we'll go out in the world and live it huge for the glory of God. That's the only reason He's left us on the planet. It's the only reason you're still walking around and inhaling and exhaling. God means for you to bring glory to the name of His Son. So I'm going to ask you, is that your first priority on Monday morning? It's the only reason He's left us here. For our, every true believer in this room, it'd be, it'd be far better, right? It'd be very much, as Paul says, it'd be very much better to be with God right now very much better. He's left us here to be His witnesses. God's always going to call us to something that's not on our resume. It's always a supernatural proposition. We must have God. We must have the Spirit of God. So who's the main character <clears throat> of Hebrews 11? We've talked about this. Who's the main character? God. 
<laughs> Every story in the Bible is about God. This is how Karen teaches your children. It's not about Noah. It's not about Moses. It's not about Paul. It's about God. It's always about God. And Hebrews 11 is no exception. Hebrews 11 is not finally about the extraordinary men and women who are noted in this chapter. Hebrews 11 is about the extraordinary God that, we, that is revealed to us here. The biblical God who always shows up. I've experienced this. If you have very many years and you, and you, you walk as a believer in the world, you probably have experienced it as well. As you obey the Lord in a challenging spot, He's faithful, right? He's faithful. He never doesn't show up. Personally, and I shared this with you a couple weeks ago, I was at a crossroads of faith some 25 years ago. And in my Bible reading, I happened to bump into, yeah, it was an accident, I'm sure. Might, might, have, been, might have been providential. I was about to make the biggest faith decision of my life and I'm reading through Joshua and I shared this with Joe and Harry and a couple of the other guys Wednesday Joshua 21 43 40 through 45 let me just read an excerpt Joshua writes that as Israel obeyed God God gave Israel all the land which he had shown to uh, to give to their fathers and they possessed it and lived in it and the Lord gave them rest on every side according to all that he had shown to their fathers and the Lord gave all their enemies into their hand. And here's the, here's the passage that, that I really locked onto, and God has been utterly faithful with. Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed to come to pass. And I'm going to say to you, if you'll, if you'll give yourself away to Christ, and if you'll walk with Christ, I mean really walk with Christ, He'll never let you down. He'll never let you down. He'll meet you at every turn. And he will, he will do more than you can even begin to ask or think, abundantly meeting you in that need, whatever the need is. <laughs> I can give you testimony after testimony after testimony, but I'm not going to bore you with that. Don't you love the text? Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made Israel failed. They all came to pass. And here's the deal. You either believe that or you don't. And it's either evident in your life or it's not. So let's just talk real, okay? We're not playing church in here. I don't do that. I don't play church. I mean, every time we come in here, it's, it's as serious as it can possibly be. Right? We're, we're, we're professing by our actions that we're worshiping God. Are you really worshiping God? Are you, are you worshiping Him in such a way that you can receive the Word? Right? You can receive the Word into your mind and into your heart. You can take it in and you can believe it. And then, you, you, you know, with the determination to go out in the world and live it. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It always comes down to how we see God. Hebrews 11.6, right? Inadequate thinking about God leads to inadequate believing, which leads to inadequate living. We talked a lot about that, Hebrews 11.6. Many, again, so-called Christians profess to believe, but it's not in their life, which is the definition of true faith. 
It's not, it's not what's going on mentally. It's what's going on, you know, in the heart and in the life. Yes, of course, it starts intellectually, but it spills out into all of the life. Very many Christians, and I've met a lot of them, are listening to screw tape. You know, C.S. Lewis's famous demon and screw tape says, moderate. And what I'm going to say to you every time I preach is, don't moderate. Obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy. And when you stand before him, you will never regret that you did. You'll never regret it. Every time you radically obey him in the world, you'll never regret that. Not now and not for all eternity. You know, it, it's back to Peter. <laughs> Peter. Peter in the boat, right? He wanted to get out. And so I'm going to ask you again, do you want to walk by radical faith? Is that why you're sitting in here this morning? You love him like this. And you want your, you want your life to shout that Jesus Christ is my God and he's awesome. Let me share him with you. You know that second part of Hebrews 11:6, we talked a lot about it 2 weeks ago. We must not only believe that God is, we must believe what? God is good. If you don't believe he's good, you're never going to take a risk for him. You can academically believe he's he's there, but you'll never go out in the world and live by faith if you don't actually believe he is a rewarder. Hebrews 11:6. So, this morning, as we look at Abraham, I want, I want to remind us that the true disciple of Jesus trusts him in two distinct ways. Just like Abraham, we're going to watch Abraham do this. First, for the salvation of our souls, right? We trust him for the, salvations, uh, the salvation of our souls. We don't, we don't trust a prayer we prayed. We don't trust an ordinance. We don't trust church membership. We don't trust an attendance. We don't trust in our good works. We don't trust in our better than average morality. We don't trust in any of that. We trust in the promise of the living God. We trust only in Jesus Christ. Only in the finished work of Jesus Christ, just like Abraham did. Genesis 15, 6, you know the famous text. He believed in what? It was reckoned to him as righteousness. He was justified in believing. You're not justified in your works. You're justified in your believing. And then our works are simply a spilling out of our sanctification. So that's, how, that's the first way that we, we believe and trust Christ as Abraham believed and trusted Yahweh. Secondly, the true believer trusts in another way. We trust him for the pilgrimage, right? We trust him to walk this life as disciples. We can engage in glad, reckless joy, obedience. We trust him to show up. We believe there'll be a ram in the bush when we obey him. So today, as we look at Abraham, we see this kind of total, absolute, complete trust in God, not only for the salvation of his soul, Genesis 15, but in the living of his sold out, never look back, try and stop me, obedience, Genesis 22. Um, 
We're back to the Sproul quote. I've shared it with you a couple weeks in a row now. I'm going to give you the whole quote this morning. I've been abbreviating it. Sproul says, to live by faith is to simply live by trust. That's what faith is. I, I trust Christ. Not only for my soul, but for every time I obey Him in the world, I trust Him. Then Sproul says, this means far more than believing in God. Some of you simply believe in God, but you've never believed God. That means I obey God. That means I do what God tells me to do. Right? It means I, I, I'm a faithful participant in the life and the body of His church, the very bride of Jesus Christ. Yeah, try and stop me from being in the, in the church when the door is open. Try and stop me. Man, you know, we're not a building. We're a living body. And we, this is where we gather, right? This is where we gather to worship. It pleases the Lord that we would gather together. So thus far in Hebrews 11.6, and I've already made a few of these points, but let me just review. We've seen that, that God defines faith, uh, faith, verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We condense that down to the fact that God is the substance of things hoped for and God is the evidence of things not seen. Secondly, God is omnipotent, and I love this. This is sometimes often overlooked, verse 3. That the creative power of God backs up every promise He's made. Don't you love that? Why is God talking about creation in the faith chapter? Because He speaks two trillion galaxies into existence. You have any doubt that God's going to show up and give you all you need when you engage in hard obedience? Do you doubt it? God says, look at my created order. And then don't ever doubt it. <laughs> I think this is much overlooked in uh, Hebrews 11 sometimes. Real faith, verse 6, not only believes that God is, it believes that God is a rewarder. Last week we talked about the faith, that the fact that God initiates faith. It's always God initiated. Um, and, and God initiated faith creates both an internal and external response. We saw that in the lives of Noah, Abraham, and Sarah last week, that their belief spilled out. There was fruit. You know, you can tell a tree by its fruit, right? As the Lord Jesus said. And also that God-initiated faith, it creates that long-view perspective. You know, we, we, stop, we stop living entirely for this world, and we start living for that one. Yeah, we have to deal with this life. We deal with it. We deal with it. But we're magnifying Christ in it, right? <laughs> That's our goal. <laughs> we're magnifying Christ in it. But we are pilgrims. We saw that last week, as I recall. Uh, strangers and exiles, was it? Yes. Strangers and exiles, verse 13. Which brings us up to where Joe was reading earlier, verse 17 through 19. We'll circle back to it in just a minute. Uh, I, I think this passage, uh, or this account that we're looking at here about Abraham sacrificing Isaac, it's so foundational in so many ways that I think it would be best for us to turn back to Genesis 22. So I would ask you to turn to Genesis 22 with me. And let's take a look at this account. Genesis 22, verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Brad, are you looking at the net? Uh, yes. Okay. Aren't there two exclamation points? Abraham. 
And Abraham says, here I am. I love this. Don't you love it? God says, Abraham. And Abraham says, here I am. Is that how it is with you and Jesus? <laughs> you know, you're just like spring-loaded, right? Man, if I hear God talk to me, I'm spring-loaded. Talk to me. Tell me what you need. Tell me what you want of me. Here I am. Don't you love that? What a perfect response. Is that how you respond to God? I love it. Here I am. Of course, the text says he tested Abraham. Does God need to learn something new about Abraham? Of course not. God is omniscient. Does God need to find out how Abraham will respond? Obviously not. The Bible interprets the Bible. We understand that God knows all things. This is not about God finding out if he can trust Abraham. This is about Abraham finding out if he really trusts God. So the test is necessary, right? You remember what uh, Peter says over in 1 Peter 6-9. through 9. He tells us that our tests are necessary. You know, I, I, I'm sure if you've been a Christian very long, you know, people are always wondering, well, why this, why that, why this, why that? Why this hard thing? It's necessary. The test is necessary. The hard thing is necessary. God's doing a work, right? 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. These, 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 these tests are necessary. The trial is necessary that the proof of our faith, tested by fire, may be found to result in the glory of Christ and the salvation of our souls. You need to know if it's real. You need to know if it's real. God knows if it's real or not. You need to know it's real. God means for you to know that it's real. Why does God want you to know you're saved? Why does he want you to know that you belong to him? Why does he want you to be a fully persuaded or be fully persuaded that you are an adopted child of God so you will live like it? It always comes back to this, doesn't it? It's always about this with the Lord. It's, it, it's, it's about living it out. And that's what Hebrews 11 is all about. Real faith lives it out. <laughs> you know, it's not an academic con construct. We live it out. We live it out. <clears throat> Hebrews 11, these fully persuaded men and women live radically different kinds of lives as compared to those who are only you know, passive church attenders and have kind of a passive, you know, casual interest in Christ. This is not pleasing to God. In fact, I think if we read our, if we've understood much of our Bibles, this, I think this is a great irritant to God. The people think they can just have some passing interest. You can't have passing interest in the Son of God. It doesn't work like that. What is the greatest commandment? That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, if that's true, it's going to be spilling out. It's always going to be spilling out. You'll be a word doer. You'll be fully persuaded. You know, as Abraham was, we'll get to that text in a minute. You'll be doing the word, James 1.22. And as one theologian said, you'll be one of the most dangerous people on the planet. You'll be doing the works of God. And there will be eternal fruit. 
Did you notice verse 1 here? Again, <laughs> the exclamation points. Abraham, here I am. Here I am. I love that. It's like Abraham saying, where else would I be? <laughs> I'm waiting for you to speak to me. It's why I'm in the Word. It's why I'm in Bible study. It's why I'm sitting under the preached Word. I'm waiting to hear from you, Lord. I'm always waiting to hear from you. Hearing from God was obviously the most important thing in his life. He doesn't allow, Abraham doesn't allow anyone or anything to get between him and God. I pray that's how it is with you and Jesus. Verse 2 and 3. Genesis 22. And he said, now take your son. God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and he went to the place of which God had told him. Inexplicably, God tells Abraham to offer Isaac. Now this is, this is mysterious. This is a mysterious command. But don't you love this about Abraham? <laughs> he doesn't say, why? Can I tell you, as a pastor for 30 years or so, I always get the why question. And kind of what I really want to say sometimes is, okay, have you read your Bible? Have you read your Bible? Why is always the wrong question. Can I just say it like that? And I'm not going to get off on a tangent. But I could go off on a tangent. But I'm reining myself in. Why is always the wrong question. Question. I love Steve Brown's an American pastor. I love what he said. He said this, and this is true if you've walked with God very long. If you've never stood before God and been confused, then probably you've never stood before God. There's always confusion. We don't, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen out front, and he rarely ever tells us what's going to happen out front. I love that. If you've never stood before God and been confused, then you've probably never stood before God. Certainly Abraham does not understand all that God is doing, just like you and I do not at times. But what does he do? Tell me what he does. He wants a full explanation from God or one of the elders before he'll do anything. What does he do? He's up the next morning, bright and early, and he's off. Right? It's like, you can't hold this man back from obedience. It doesn't matter how hard it is. This is Hebrews 11. This is saving faith. Not that we don't all struggle at times. But man, if you're struggling to obey the Lord, go home. Get on your face. You have work to do. You have work to do. Understanding is never the prerequisite for obeying. If you've walked with the Lord very long, you know that. 
I'm going to say it again. Understanding is never the prerequisite for obeying God. We trust God even if we don't understand God. Right? Abraham certainly doesn't understand, but man, here I am. <laughs> I'm off. <laughs> I am off. How does a man obey like this? I'll tell you how. You already know, most of you. By this time, Abraham's been walking with God for over a quarter of a century. He not only believes that God is God, he's seen it. And if you've walked very long with God, you've seen this. It's not, it's not academic. It's not theoretical. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen him do miraculous things. Abraham not only believes that God is good, he's lived it. Right? He's seen it. And he's lived it. So how does faith grow and mature in the believer? How, how can we be ready for difficult obedience? I think it works like this. In response to God's drawing of us, we encounter God. In encountering God, we discover an urgent desire for Him within our souls. In desiring God, we begin to earnestly seek God. In seeking God, we come to know Him more and more deeply. In knowing God, we come to love and trust God more and more completely. In loving and trusting God, we find ourselves caught up in this habit-forming, and I add the word intoxicating, practice of engaging in fully persuaded obedience. Yes, and many of you can give testimony. It is intoxicating to go with God. If you don't know that yet, you haven't gone very far down the path with Him. I'm pretty sure Peter was pretty jacked up about stepping out on the water. You know? You know, this is why God hates lukewarmness. Because He's not. He's not lukewarm. And you can't go with God if you're lukewarm. Right? I love how Piper talks about this. You know, this is in relation to the Matthew 13, 44 guy, you know, that found the treasure in the field and he sold all that he had, that he could possess the treasure, that he could possess Christ. I love how Piper talks about this. Listen, listen to this. I want you to hear this. The Christian is converted in joy. Then he goes on in obedience, which brings more joy, which incites us to deeper obedience, which brings more joy, which incites us to deeper obedience, which brings more joy. Right? Etc., etc., etc. It's this never-ending loop. Real faith starts with joy in our conversion, and our faith grows with joy in every act of obedience, a spiritual loop of ever-increasing joy in God. Verses 4 and 5, On the third day Abraham raised his eyes and he saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you. So, what did Abraham just say? He said, We'll be back. We'll be back. So he's not gonna, he's not really gonna go through with it, right? He's not really gonna go through with this. Or is he? Yeah. 
Isn't it a beautiful story? Abraham doesn't understand what's going to happen exactly, but he believes in his promise-keeping God. Don't you love this? <laughs> I love this. Isaac has to come back down the mountain. Why? Because every promise God has made to Abraham is about Isaac. It's about Isaac. You know, it depends on him living and breathing and walking around and procreating. Isaac has to come back down the mountain. Uh, God doesn't have to say this to Abraham. Abraham infers it from the promise of God. He's coming back down with me. He cannot not come back down with me. You have to love this. You have to love this story. So let's, uh, yeah. Abraham has already seen God do the impossible. Isaac's already a miracle, right? So what's the big deal? If, if he has to slay him, he just reckons, as, as you heard Joe read the text, that God will just raise him up. Isaac's already a miracle. What, we, what do we have? A hundred-year-old man and, and a barren woman? And they're going to have a son, and we talked about it last week. Sarah laughed to herself, and God said, Is there anything too hard for me? No, there's not. There's nothing too hard for God. And I'll say what I said last week. So why would you ever shrink back from obeying the Lord? You know, it's just unbelief, right? Let's just not, let's not play the game. Let's not play the game. If you're not obeying God, you don't believe God. That, that's the bottom line. You don't have saving faith. You've never done the transaction. It's, it's kind of a facade. It's, it's like a veneer, right? It's over my life. I tip my hat. But nothing real is going on. You guys know that this account is recorded in Romans 4. And I love how it talks about Abraham's faith regarding God's promise of this miracle boy and all that's going to proceed from this miracle boy. I'm going to read to you from Romans 4, 19 to 21. You don't have to turn there. Without becoming weak in faith, Abraham, with respect to the promise of God regarding Isaac, did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured or fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to perform. You know, this is the thing. you got many people who profess as Christians, they, they, have, they, have, they have no real belief that God will show up. We're back to Hebrews 11.6. Right? Hebrews 11.6. I believe he'll show up. He's good. He's a rewarder. Of course he's going to show up. I love the King James translation here. Again, fully persuaded. Abraham was fully persuaded. Are you? Again, we don't always understand all that God is doing. But we always believe all that God is saying. Amen. Isn't that what a real Christian looks like? Abraham didn't fully understand God, but he never doubted God. <laughs> Abraham knew God could back up every single promise, Hebrews 11.3. 3. 
Look up into the heavens. Do you think I can keep my promise? You know, what is it that uh, Isaiah says? By the strength of his power, he holds them all in place and he knows all their names. And you don't think he's big enough for your situation? It's just unbelief. It's just unbelief. That's exactly what it is. So Abraham, he doesn't debate. He doesn't dither. He didn't call the elders. Hey, there's nothing wrong if you need to call the elders. Please call the elders. He'd been walking with God for 25 years or, or longer. He didn't know exactly. He didn't know the particulars, but he knew how this was going to end. Isaac's coming back down the mountain with me. Right? So in Hebrews eleven seventeen to 19, the text that Joe read earlier, it gives us some insights into how the fully persuaded but not always fully understanding mind works. So let's read it again. Hebrews eleven seventeen to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was, was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was, was uh, offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said in Isaac, your descendant shall be called. There it is. He believed the word of God, so he was free to obey the word of God. He considered that God, I'm reading again in Hebrews 11, he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. Abraham didn't understand how God could give Isaac back to him or would give God Isaac back to him. But I looked at seven verb translations on, on this text. He reckoned, he believed, he considered, he reasoned, he concluded, he assumed, and he figured that God could do it. <laughs> You know, this, is, this, is, this, should be, this should be going on in your life all the time. These kinds of things, right? I reckon God can do it. I'm fully persuaded that God can do it. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to do what he said. I'm going to obey the Lord. You know, we should be hitting, these, we should be hitting these, these markers in our life as we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus He's not going to walk away from God because it's hard. He wants to see another miracle. <laughs> I love this. He loves to watch God show up. And if you're a Christian, you've walked very long with Him, you understand about this. You love to watch Him show up because He shows up. He shows up. This hard thing with Isaac, it's not a deal killer for Abraham. And what do I mean by that? You know, you just meet some Christians and they have, or former Christians or professed Christians, and they have this testimony. Well, if God doesn't do this right for me, I'm out of here. And it's like, really? That's where we are? That's how we're talking? That's what you're saying? You're saying that out loud to me and before your Creator? That's how, that's how you talk. If God doesn't perform the way I think He ought to, I'm out. Well, like, who loses in that equation? You. Nobody else is losing. You lose if you walk away from your Creator. You lose. It's so self-destructive. It's uh, suicidal, really. So Abraham knows this hard thing is not a hard thing for God. 
And next time you're up against the hard thing. <laughs> I hope you know the same thing. Verses 6 through 10. Abraham, I'm just going to summarize. He took the wood. Um, he laid it on Isaac, his son. They went up the mountain. He took the fire and the knife. Verse 7. Isaac asked his father about this. Where is the lamb? Where is the offering? Where is it? Verse 8. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the offering, my son. And they walked on together. Verse 9. Then they came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there, arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son. Wow. This is faith. This is fully persuaded faith. It's what it looks like. We made the point last week, but I'd like to make it again. God never tells us exactly how things are going to work out, how He's going to do a thing. And can I just say it this way? With all love and consideration, it's none of your business. If God thought it was any of your business, He would tell you. It's none of your business how He's going to work the miracle. That's not your job. Your job is not to know how He's going to work the miracle. Your job is to believe He will. That's our job. It's not a hard job. <laughs> we don't have to do the miracle. You know, I shared this with you last week, and I love it. I'm still laughing about it. I heard Piper say this. If you demand full understanding before you'll obey God, you'll never get further than the couch. And don't you hear the couch calling your name sometimes? <laughs> I don't know about you, but the couch is calling my name. I'd like to go sit on that couch. God's not on the couch. Yahweh doesn't reside on the couch. So in addition to Romans 4 and Hebrews 11, there's yet another place in the New Testament. Most of you know where this is, that we're talking about Abraham and Isaac. It's a powerful illustration. It's that famous passage over in James 2 about faith and works. We know that, that do nothing faith is useless. It's dead. It's no better than demon, how the demons believe. The demons are orthodox. They believe all the right things. They don't believe in such a way that they would live them. They believe everything God is saying. James 2, 21 to 23. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. What does that mean? Consummated, realized, matured. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called, there it is, the friend of God. Are you God's friend? This is how the friends of God, this is how they live. When God speaks, here I am. Right? Here I am. I think when we stand before him, I think we're all going to be wishing we had said that a lot more. Right? Here I am. 
Do all your good pleasure, Lord. It doesn't really matter much to me. You just do all your good pleasure in me and through me. You do it. You do all your good pleasure. And I don't need an explanation. I'm not going to ask you for an explanation. You're my explanation. God is our explanation. God is our satisfaction. It's what this test in Genesis 22 is all about. Is Abraham's confession of faith in Genesis 15 real? Yeah, we find out in Genesis 22 it's real. (laughs) Isaac is on the pile of wood. It's real. So Abraham's Genesis 22 works of faith reveal his Genesis 15 profession of faith to be genuine. So what happened? Or should I say who happened? Abraham's God friend shows up, verses 11 through 12. But the angel of the Lord, this is a theophany. This is, this is the, the pre-incarnate Christ. The angel of the Lord called to him and, uh, from heaven and he said, Abraham, Abraham. There's some more exclamation points. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do, not, uh, do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. God says to Abraham, now I know. Did God need to know something new? No, I've already addressed that. He's omniscient. This is not about God needing to know something new. This is ultimately about Abraham and you and me learning more about the absolute, total, complete faithfulness of God. So what happens in verse 13? What happens? Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, up! what is it? Someone tell me. There's a ram in the bush. So now you know what that means, Right? There's a ram in the bush. If you obey God, <laughs> there'll always be a ram in the bush. Can I say this, beloved? You're supposed to know this. I don't know how long some of you have been a Christian. If it's very long at all, say over a year or two, you should already know this. You should already know about the ram in the bush. And you should be living like... There's a ram in the bush. God expects his people to know it and to incarnate that reality. Verse 14. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. You've got to love this. One of the best verses in the Bible. And it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it will it will be provided. Would you love that? The Lord will provide, or Jehovah Jireh, meaning God will see to it. (laughs) Oh, you know, I can't do that. I can't give that much. I can't go there. I can't say anything to that person. I can't can't refuse to do something illegal uh, for my boss. I can't, I can't, I can't. No, you can. You can. You can. God will provide. God is a promise keeper. You can. And if I, and I, let me say this. If you're a Christian, you must. You must. It's what he's saying to us in Hebrews 11. It's not real. If this is not pouring out. If this kind of trust and obedience is not pouring out. 
Jesus is always the, I will meet you in obedience and I will give you everything you need. God, he's that God. He's the God that told Peter to get out of the boat. You know, that's why we started with Peter three or four weeks ago. So I'm going to close with this quote from Oswald Chambers. I think I've shared it with you already, but you know, I have certain quotes I have to share like five times a year minimum. Um, and this is where some of you are right now. Okay, some of you are, some of you are in this quote right now. You're wondering, do I really believe, do I really believe what this guy's saying? <laughs> Francis believes. Um, do I really believe this? Am I really expected to live like this? Listen to Oswald Chambers, famous preacher back in the something, 20th century. God will always bring us to the place where he asks us to believe him and obey him. But too often we begin to debate with him. That moment becomes a great crossroads in our lives and we have to decide. And I love this. You have to decide for God or against God. You have to decide that. That's your decision. That's the decision you make. I decide for God or I just categorically decide against God. You know how that works a lot of times in professed Christians' life is they just turn away from it and walk the other direction and try to put it out of their mind. I'm not going to deal with that. I'm not going to deal with what I know he's calling me to do right now today. Is your faith genuine? Will you decide for God or against God? The ball is always in your court. The faith of the real Christian is not simply in the words you tell me. If it's real, it's in our deeds. So when it's time for some radical obedience on your part, are you going to be ready? <laughs> are you going to be ready? When, when the call comes, can you in good conscience, you know, will you ignore it? Or will you say, here I am! Here I am, God! All I am and all I have is yours. Here I am. This is the way Christians live. And we can expect that there'll be a ram in the bush. And I'll define that for you one more time. Evangelical shorthand for the beautiful truth that our God can be trusted. It's a born-again idiom underscoring the fact that God is a radical promise keeper. <laughs> so let me close with another Oswald Chambers quote. This will be the second time I've closed. Um, sort of highlights all that God is saying to us in Hebrews 11 about walking with Jesus. Chambers writes, May God not find the wine, W-H-I-N-E, the wine in us anymore. Man, can't, I can't tell you how many Christians I've heard whining in my lifetime. And I, I'm going to own it. I'm a whiner too at times, right? But I know what to do with that. I know it's time to get on my face if I'm going to whine. And I need to repent. 
But Oswald Chambers says, May God not find the wine in us anymore, but may He find us full of spiritual pluck. Who knows what pluck is? Who knows what pluck is? Anybody know what pluck is? Courage. Courage. I love that. I'm going to start over. May God not find the wine in us anymore, but may He find us full of spiritual courage and athleticism ready to face anything He brings to us. So no more wine. Just a lifestyle of fully persuaded, God-honoring, God-trusting, God-obeying faith as we make our way to the new heaven and new earth. And I'm going to close again. This will be the third time I've closed. But this one's for real. I'm going to close again with Hebrews 10, 38 and 39, which is the introduction that the writer of Hebrews uses to, to jump into Hebrews 11, right? You've heard me read it a couple of times, but I just think it's, it's, it's imperative that we get this. God says, verse 38, But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back... My soul has no pleasure in him. Now, that's a strong word from God right before he takes you into Hebrews 11 and says, that's what I expect. That's what faith is. That's what real faith is. And then the writer of Hebrews adds, verse 39, but we're not like that. We're, we're not like that. We are not of those who shrink back to destruction. We don't shrink back from God. We say, here I am. That's how we live. Right? Let me finish. We don't shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Are you saved? You'll know it. You'll know it. Not only is there a vibrant relationship going on between you and Yahweh, but that love and adoration that you have for Him and that faith you have in Him will be spilling out of your life. And everybody around you is going to smell God. Let's pray.